I'm one of the uh, folks that serves on the uh, preaching team here at Missio Day Church. There's about four of us or so. Um, so if you want to go to Google Reviews and just review which preacher you like the best, you can feel free to do that. Um, but um, lately I've been thinking a lot about um, family, kind of immediate, but also extended family. And just how the, the weird thing that family can be, like you have absolutely no choice whatsoever in deciding who is in your family. It's basically like, hey, we're going to throw a group of people together and you'll be family and you have to love them. Uh, there's no trading of family members with other families. You can't vote someone off the island. Um, this is it. This is your family. Love them. And I always want to say, like, like, love all of them. Um, because I find myself often saying about my own family, like, who are these people? How did I end up coming out of this group of just weirdos? They're so strange. Um, and sometimes, you know, maybe like you can identify with feeling that way about your family, but you know, maybe when you're with your family or at a family reunion, someone might pull out some old, uh, photos or pictures. And as you look at them, you might be a little taken back by how people are dressed, uh, the way in which they style their hair, um, the way people talked, how outdated some of the house interiors looked. Um, it all seems a bit weird and strange and foreign. But you'll, you'll most likely hear someone from the family say, like, well, that's just the way things were back then. Um, so I think if you have those feelings about your own family or when you look at old family photos, I think it's a small taste of what we might experience as we read the book of Exodus. Because um, we are a part of the family of God, and we're reading and looking at these sort of old stories from people, our ancestors, our family, and it seems weird and strange, and the world that they lived in was very different. Um, and yet we're, we sort of came out of them, right? We, we came out of this, this group of people. And so this is our third week in our study of the book of Exodus. And this morning we're going to be looking at Exodus chapter 3. So if you have a Bible or a device, uh, go ahead and pull that out. Um, we're going to look at Exodus uh, chapter 3. I'm going to focus on, um, we're just going to look at verses 1 through 12. I encourage you to look at the whole, uh, the whole chapter uh, or the rest of the chapter later this evening, but we're just primarily going to look at verses 1 through 12. So Exodus 3, verses 1 through 12. And here's what it says. Moses was keeping the flock of his, uh, of his father-in-law, Jethro, the, the priest of Midian. He led his flock beyond the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of a bush, he looked, and the bush was blazing, yet it was not consumed. Then Moses said, I must turn aside and look at this great sight and see why the bush is not burned up. When the Lord saw that he had turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here I am. Then he said, Come no closer. Remove the sandals from your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. He said further, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have observed the misery of my people who are in Egypt. I have heard their cry on account of their taskmasters. Indeed, I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them from the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land of to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the country of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the the Pez, the, Pe, the Perizzites, 
the Hevites and the Jebusites. The cry of the Israelites has now come to me. I have also seen how the Egyptians oppressed them. So come, I will send you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh? He said, I will be with you. And this shall be the sign for you that it is I who sent you when you brought the people out of Egypt. You shall worship God on this mountain. It's the word of the Lord. So just a couple important things for us to notice to sort of help set the stage in this text. The first is in verse 4. So notice that when God addresses Moses, he says Moses' name twice. This kind of double call of Moses serves as an indicator that whatever is about to happen next is going to be significant. This is kind of a common feature throughout Scripture, uh, and so it's not something unique to this text. God does this with Abraham in Genesis 22. He does it with Samuel in 1 Samuel 3. Uh, Jesus does it with Simon in Luke 22. Uh, Jesus says, Martha, Martha, in the story of Mary and Martha at the end of Luke 10. And even in Acts 9, the famous Damascus Road experience, there is a double call from Jesus in the vision when he says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? The second thing to point out is God's command to Moses to not come any closer and to remove his sandals. Removing the sandals showed an appropriate humility because the poorest and most needy have no shoes and servants usually went barefoot. Uh, In many cultures, you take your shoes off when you come into someone's house. And now Moses was in God's house, as it were, a place of his presence. It also recognized the immediate presence of God. Moses was now in the presence of a holy God. And, And I do think that it would be helpful for us if we clarify the word holy. Because since the Reformation... We in the Western church have primarily understood holy to mean absolute, total moral purity. And then we contrast that with the lack of moral purity on the part of humanity. So as a result, since Moses is not morally pure, he cannot be in the presence of God because God's moral purity and holiness cannot be contaminated by Moses or anyone else for that matter. But I think a fuller and dare I say a more faithful understanding and definition of the word holy, would be to use words like wholeness or oneness or completeness. So when Jesus says, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect, Jesus is saying that we are called to be whole people because that reflects the wholeness or oneness of Yahweh. So all that to say that these two things are meant to grab our attention and help us uh, to see that Uh, the gravity and power of what is about to take place. So Moses has a profoundly significant encounter, and as a result, we see, we we discover some important things about the nature of this God and how we as image bearers relate to this God. Now, as you read this text, there are several things that you could say about the nature of God, but I want to highlight four of them. The first is this. This is a God who sees the oppressed And identifies with their suffering. This this cannot be overlooked. Because in antiquity, you were seen as favored by the gods if you were wealthy, successful, and had great power. And yet this God takes notice and identifies himself with a group of people who have none of those things. 
Something you often hear in public discourse is that all religion, and Christianity especially, has been a tool of oppression throughout history. And I definitely do not want to minimize that because, of course, there, that is true. And, and we as a church and followers of Jesus have to kind of do business with that in order to be faithful and effective witnesses. But rarely do you hear this mind-blowing reality that very early on in the story of God, this God presents himself as a God of the oppressed, who is for the oppressed. In fact, the overwhelming majority of the scriptures was written from the perspective of a people who were on the underside of empire and being oppressed. I would argue that we can tend to miss some of Scripture's profound power because we, we live in an empire, the United States. And we all don't necessarily comprehend what it's like to live as a group of people who are oppressed by an exterior dominating force. The second thing to notice is that this is a God of rescue. This God does not just see the oppression of his people and then hope that they can pull themselves up by their bootstraps. He is going to take action and do something about it. I have come down to deliver them, says the text. This is the nature of God. Not a God who stands at a distance while his people suffer, but a God who desires to do something about it. Since the beginning of the story of God, which began in the garden, and ended up taking a turn in the wrong direction, and sin and death entered the story, he promised to make it right, to sort it all out, to put the whole creation back together. This God is not a God who will scrap what he has created and start over. Rather, he is committed. In fact, a better word might be covenant. He has covenanted to rescue his people, and as a result, the whole story. The third thing that we learn about this God is that this God decided to put the rescue project into action by inviting his image bearers, namely Moses, to enact it. So God put the rescue project into action by inviting image bearers to be a part of it, to enact it. This is incredibly beautiful to me. Moses gets to be in on the act of rescue. God will write the script and direct the play of rescue, and Moses will get to play his part in it. God loves his image bearers too much to have them just sit on the sidelines of the rescue project. He knows that their participation will not only further the rescue project, but it will also forever transform them. Moses taking part in this rescue project indeed um, it is indeed for the, the rescue of God's people. But it is also for Moses' own transformation as well. Oftentimes you might hear people say, why won't God do something about this? Or why hasn't God taken action and resolved this? And there are times when God will just act on his own, but more often than not, God's rescue project is always done through his people, through his image bearers. So the better question to ask might be, how might the God of rescue take action through me? The fourth thing that we learn about this God is that this is a God of presence. In, in verse 11, Moses asks 
God a question, who who am I? And that this expresses his doubt, his confusion, his uncertainty and fear. And God doesn't say, stop being such a wimp, suck it up, or I I knew I couldn't trust you with this plan. He says, I will be, he says he will be with Moses. It is not about Moses' gifting or skill set or even his Enneagram number. It is not personality that matters. It is presence. Presence is such a powerful thing just in, in general, in life, but a common theme throughout the scriptures. The Psalms are filled with this beautiful picture that as a result of the presence of Yahweh, fear can have no power over us even when we walk in the darkest valley. Now going back to the analogy of God writing the script and directing the play and inviting Moses to play his part, the mind-blowing difference is that in this story, God is not the director who waits in the wings or sits in the auditorium seats during rehearsal yelling out instructions to the actors. No, he is the one who is with them on the stage itself, the stage of rescue. Now, I I want us to to rewind and take a look at this passage in, in maybe a different way. What if you reread this passage, but you remove these three things? You remove, number one, misery of my people, number two, Moses, and number three, send you to Pharaoh. Now, I want us to take these three things and replace them with three new things. But here's the thing. I only know what one of those replacements will be. The other two are up to you to answer and to replace. The one that I do know about is replacing Moses' name with your name. You see, we are all a rescued people. And just as he did with Moses, the God of rescue is calling you to a specific task, to a specific person, to a specific group of people to take part in his rescue project. So where or to whom might the God of rescue be sending you? I had a word for our middle school friends, but they have just recently been raptured um, to another place. Um, But for those of you who are in high school, our text says that God sees the suffering of his people. So for my friends who are in high school, God sees the suffering of certain people at your school. And you might know who those people are. The people who have little to no friends, who sit by themselves in the cafeteria. Maybe people bully them. What if you saw what God saw? What if he is calling you by name to befriend them and learn their name and learn their story? And through that process, through you, God might rescue that person. If if you're in college or or grad work or, or med school, God has placed you at a specific school in a specific class with specific students for a reason. Maybe you know of people in your school who are suffering with 
anxiety, depression. Maybe you know some people in your school who are struggling financially. They don't know if they can pay for, for courses next semester. God sees their suffering. And what if he wants you to see them? And he's calling you by name to befriend these people, to know them, to know their story. And through that process, that God might rescue them. For, for those of you that um, have, have a career, and work for a company, or, or have a job, maybe you have multiple jobs. You all know the people um, in your companies or, 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 or who you work with that um, people find very difficult to work with. That they're a pain to deal with. No one wants to be around them. What if there's suffering underneath the surface that you're not even aware of, but God is and wants to make you aware of? What if you got to know them and befriend them and hear their story? And God might be a part of you rescuing them, of God rescuing them through you. You and your families. Interact with other families, maybe on your in your neighborhood or connected to your kids' uh, sporting activities or, or school, and you know that they are suffering. Their marriage is on the brink. There's brokenness in the family. God sees the suffering of that family and maybe is calling your family to be a part of the rescue project for them. I, I have a good friend of mine who has lived in Maine for about 10 years, um, and he, he's, he's moving back to, to the Midwest where he's originally from. But he said, you know, I, I have shared the gospel with everyone on my block. Um, and so when I move, I, I, I have peace knowing that I've done my job and the, everyone on my block has heard the gospel and their response to it is their business. I was profoundly challenged and convicted by that. And this is a guy who was in full-time vocational ministry and could have used the excuse like, well, I do this for my job. No, no, no. His whole block, he's shared the gospel in some capacity with them. That was profoundly convicting for me. Friends, we are the rescued who now become a part of the rescuing. We are the invited who now get to be the inviters. Could you be a part of someone's rescuing? What if Missio Day Church could be a part of rescuing whole groups of people in our city? And to be clear, it's not us doing the rescuing. It's God who has done this and will do this through us. But you will grow so much more by being a part of the rescue project versus standing on the sidelines and hoping someone else does it. Uh, one of my good friends in college, uh, a guy named Matt Shibata. Some of you might know his dad, Rob Shibata, who is friends with the, uh, Ken and Linda Jones. Rob uh, Shibata, I think, has come here and done some teaching on Monday nights or whatever else. Um, so Rob's son, Matt, uh, went to college with me. Best man at my wedding. Crazy story how that all, that there's um, that connection. But nobody called him Matt. Everybody called him Shibata. And Shibata would talk about him like, talk about himself in the third person, okay? So he'd be like, I'm Shibata, baby. Like, that, like he would just kind of talk like this. And he was, like, kind of quite the character. Um, he was a short dude, and if you don't know a lot about me, I'm tall. Um, and so when we would, like, walk around campus, it was just kind of funny. He'd be like, you're so freaking tall, fool. Get out of the way. And then I would say, like, hey, do you want me to reach that cup for you? You know, can you reach that? Want me to get that for you, T-Rex arms? So um, 
But uh, but he was just he, he was like 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 he would when he would come in the apartment he'd be like Shabbat's in the building and I'm like dude really, um, so he always tells his story about um, he was dating um, his wife or his ne- his now wife his then girlfriend Joylani for like they've been dating for a couple a couple weeks and he always tells his story. So he and Joylani are waiting in line on campus to get their books for 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 that semester, and this guy comes up. Um, who like I, I think might have gone like on a couple dates with Jai- Joylani before Shibata and Joylani started dating, and so this is how Shibata tells the story. He's like, "Yeah, fool, this this fool comes up here like talking to Joylani, fool, and he says, you know, talk talking or whatever, and then he turns to me and he says, who are you?' And I'm and in my head, fool, I'm thinking, who am I? Who are you, fool? I'm freaking Shibata. And so he tells that to everybody. Like, whenever we get together, that's like our joke. Who am I? Who are you, fool? Um, so I love that. Who am I? Moses said the same thing. Who am I? Who am I that I should uh, uh, should do this? And th- th- that question, who am I, I want, us to, I, I want us to unpack that question and kind of put a different angle on it. I want us to see the humility and the gratitude that can, that can come from living in this question that can nourish our souls as we participate in God's rescue project. That we get to be a part of this. Like, I get to be a part of this. Even me, with my past and my shame and the people that I've hurt and all the mess in my life, like, I get to be a part of it? Are you kidding me? Are you sure you have the right person? What a gift. I get to be on the team. And our world is in need of a lot, but humility and gratitude is not only needed, I think it'll be attractive to people. And as Americans, we oftentimes can feel entitled to certain rights and privileges and I think we can tend to bring that into our spiritual life. But asking the question, like, who am I? Can help foster a gratitude and humility to diffuse that. So we might better reflect the God of rescue and better participate in his rescue project. Otherwise, it, can be, it, it will just become a duty and not a privilege. A burden instead of a gift that it's meant to be. It will make us into God's employees instead of his daughters and sons. So friends, the good news is this. The God who made you, knows you, and loves you, that is a God of rescue. And he has invited you and me to be a part of enacting his rescue project. And as we do that, This God will be with us. He will be with us no matter what. When we participate in this rescue project and when we don't. When we want to and when we don't want to. Even when we might get in the way of his rescue project. Even then, he will be with us. Missio Dei Church, this God of rescue sees the misery and suffering of the people in your lives, in your worlds, in your context where he's placed you. He's calling you by name to participate in his rescue project. And the question is, would you be willing to receive that as a gift 
and would you be willing to go? Let me pray. Lord, I am so grateful that we are people who are not invisible to you. You see us. We are not alone. We are a seen people that in our suffering and in our misery, you have seen us and you, your heart breaks for that. And you see the brokenness in our world and the hurt in our world and your heart breaks for that as well. And you take us broken people and invite us to be a part of putting a broken world back together. What a gift that it is to be called by the God of rescue to participate in his rescue project. Well, I pray that we might begin to see the people in our world as you see them, as your daughters and sons who are suffering, that we might be a part of them being rescued. And um, Lord, that's done in different ways with the different giftings that you've given each one of us. But may we be faithful to the places that you've called us to be so that your kingdom would come, that your will might be done in this world as it is in heaven. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.